So who won? <laughs> who, they're seeing how long they could hold, hold yonder. I just didn't know who won. Um, good to see you this morning. I hope and pray that you're doing okay today. Glad that uh, we all, with one heart and one voice, said, I'm glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And it's a good place to be on a Sunday morning. It's a place that we're being obedient to the Lord when we come to the Lord's house on a Sunday morning. So thank you so much for your obedience. I praise God and I'm encouraged by your obedience to be here. Uh, It honors the Lord when you come. And so thank you so much. Um, I do want to say that if you're visiting with us, um, there might be a blue card somewhere around you in the pew. But if there's not and you want to just let us know that you were attending today, there's a little scan me QR code in the bulletin. You can take a picture of that with your cell phone camera and uh, it will take you to the, a place where there's a bulletin online. You can scroll down to the bottom and you can actually uh, fill out an online connection card because we sure would like to know that you're present with us. If you're visiting online, just look in the, the video description and you'll find a, a link to the same thing. So, Anyway, just a couple of announcements to pass along to everyone. Um, I do want to acknowledge, we did so last week, that we, uh, uh, all, we are close to doubling our goal uh, for Lottie Moon. Um, well, we've really um, done well this year, and, and I'm thankful for that. I got to thinking uh, this past week, just kind of recalling with my dad about uh, how giving this church is and how it's been that way, you know, as long as I have been here, and I know even preceding uh, that the church has been so giving, um, and uh, so we have had two hundred more dollars given to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Ten thousand three hundred sixty-eight dollars have been given uh, up to this point. You can give through the end of the month. Um, and just to report, I'm hearing across, uh, not widely, uh, just what I hear on the internet, that a lot of churches are reaching or exceeding their Lottie Moon uh, goal. And so, praise God for that. Uh, another announcement to make is that we will have our January business meeting tonight at six thirty. And as a member, it's your right, your responsibility, and your privilege to participate in these meetings. So I want to encourage you, make every effort to attend. Um, Also, finally, uh, Wednesday night activities um, won't start in full with our meal and our children and our youth until the 19th. However, the youth will meet this week in 6 or 6.30? 6 o'clock for the youth. All right. Are there any other announcements? Barbara, y'all planning to resume the ladies' uh, prayer group? Okay. Okay, very good. Does anyone else have an announcement that's, uh, that needs to be made? Just don't forget today at 3 to meet with, um, if you're planning on teaching in the fall, I'm sorry, not the fall, the spring, <laughs> for our children's ministry, we're going to meet this afternoon at 3 o'clock. All right, anyone else? All right, well, um, for our call to worship today, Um, I'd just like to read a a passage from Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about people who kind of glory in the flesh, which what what he means by that is their accomplishments uh, are what they really kind of glory in. And Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 4, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I want to read that again. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own 
because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's the focus of our attention this morning, that we may press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's stand and let's worship together. So
Good morning. So we just had Christmas, and I'm sure some of you got some gifts. And they might have been in big, pretty packages, or maybe they weren't wrapped. Or maybe they were just special gifts like a hug or a smile from someone you care about. I got this gift <laughs> from one of my students. And I could keep it for myself, but how would it feel to all of you if I just kept it for myself? Feel like you were missing out? What if I just opened it up and I just started eating it? It's my gift. I'm going to keep it. <laughs> That'd be kind of disappointing, <laughs> wouldn't it? So God gives us gifts, and he really wants us to share them. He wants us to share them with the people in our church, and he wants us to share them with people outside of our church. He just wants us to share the gifts that he gives us. But God's gifts are a little bit different than these M&Ms. So these M&Ms, like, I can touch them, I can see them, I can hold them, I can eat them. I am going to share these with y'all, by the way. <laughs> but sometimes God's gifts are things that we can't see, that we can't touch. Sometimes God's gifts are that we can get up here and talk in front of all these people, <laughs> which sometimes I feel is my gift and sometimes not so much. <laughs> Um, sometimes our gifts are getting up here and singing in front of us. Um, sometimes our gifts look even different than that. Um, but we can't just keep them to ourselves. We're supposed to share them. So I wanted to talk about, um, I wanted to read something in 1 Corinthians about sharing our gifts and why we're supposed to do that. So 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. So we are like the body of Christ, and we can't just stand alone. We have to work together, and that's where our gifts come into play. Um, how many of you would like getting up here and talk in front of all these people? <laughs> um, how would our church work if nobody wanted to get up in front of all these people and teach? What if we didn't have Brother Shannon? Everybody was just too nervous. Would our church work very well? No. What if we didn't have anybody that wanted to lead us in worship? We wouldn't have it. So we have to um, understand that all of our gifts are different and unique. But we don't always just need the people standing up here either. We have lots of different gifts. So I want you to think about your gifts. What has God gifted you with? Maybe you can teach. Maybe you just like helping other people. Maybe you're really well organized. Maybe you can get a group really excited. Maybe you're a good listener or comforter. Maybe you're good with technology. Those are all things that we can use for God's glory. So I'm going to read another verse out of 1 Corinthians, um, still in chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. And I'm going to talk a little bit about gifts and how they're all different. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So I am going to share these. Maybe. Okay, you can take. You don't want one? You don't want my gifts?
so look at these M&Ms. You could say that they all look a little bit different. They're different colors, right? But they mostly look the same, and we know that inside these M&Ms, they're all the same. They have chocolate. And the chocolate is kind of like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And on the outside, the things that we offer to God through our service and our different gifts look a little bit different, like these M&Ms. These M&Ms also have an M on the outside of them. They're marked. We are marked with the Holy Spirit. We're set aside to do God's work, and we must use our gifts to do so. And it's okay that that looks different for everybody. So as you eat your M&M, I want you to think. We're marked for a purpose. We are all gifted differently, but we are filled with the same spirit, and we are called one body in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for these children. Thank you for our church and the ways that the adults in this church show these children that everybody has different gifts. I pray that you would work on the hearts of these children so that they would be able to identify the gifts that you've given them and that they would be able to use them to bring you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to turn in your scripture to Psalm 130, it'll also be up on the board. It's kind of the opposite of what um, Shannon read this morning about what Paul was saying about how all these good things he had done, yet it was meaningless. Well, this, this is talking about how like all the bad things that I've done and my life doesn't measure up. So let's read Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. To the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So Paul says, all the things I've done good and all the religious things I've done don't matter in the surpassing love and greatness of Christ. The psalmist says, all these terrible things have happened, but they don't really matter because in the end, I'm waiting for the forgiveness and the love and the surpassing power of a Savior, which was to be Christ. that doesn't fall, help you fall in love with Jesus. Jesus, you love us. And out of the desire to glorify your Father, you came and paid the price for us. You took the wrath that would have utterly destroyed us and you absorbed it so that we could stand right in the presence of your father we have hope beyond today and so as we worship you this morning God we pray that you would overwhelm us with your grace Confess this to you.
would ask you, if you would, please open your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. While you're turning there, um, I need to preface what I'm about to say with something. So if you'll humor me for a moment. I don't know if you realize this or not, but every Sunday morning, it's a miracle that you listen to me at all. It's a miracle that you listen to me. Here's what I mean by that. If you could, if you looked some days of the week at my heart and what's going on in my mind, you'd say, don't come back. Here's your check. We'll see you. Some mornings I feel like I'm in a good place and I'm ready to preach. Some days I I get up here and I know full well that if anything good is to happen, it'll only be because of Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I just want to tell you before we even start, um, I'm not really in a good place to preach. But that could be a really good thing. Because you could see here this morning... um, And I pray that you do. Not a man um, who is just so full of sin and weakness. But that just by opening my mouth. And laying out before you what I believe God has laid on my heart this week. Which I pray and I believe. Adheres to the scripture. Then it won't be a miracle to me that you've listened to me because you're not listening to me, you're listening to the Lord. Hopefully, you found your way to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you should find a Bible somewhere around you hardback, black. Um, If you'll turn to the back of it, find page 77. You'll be at Hebrews chapter 13. Verses 10 through 14 will be our text today. But before we start, um, I've been letting this book right here, The Glory of Christ, uh, kick me around a little bit. Um, because it has. And, and if you want to get kicked around in a good way, this is a good one. It's The Glory of Christ by John Owen. He was a Puritan. Uh, that may turn some of you off, but this language has been updated. And it is a marvelous book because it points the Christian, to the glory of Christ. And I'm going to read just a section of it because the title of our sermon series is My Jesus, I Love Thee. That's the whole, all the time through this, we're going to be taking a look at our Savior. And John Owen helps us to understand why this is so incredibly important. He says, The greatest desire that Christ expressed in His high priestly prayer was that His people might be with Him to behold His glory. It is clear that in this prayer, the Lord Christ was referring to His own glory and the actual side of it. He's not concerned that His disciples should merely see how glorious He was, listen, but that the beholding of His glory might bring encouragement, strength, satisfaction, and blessedness to His disciples. That was the whole reason why His his glory and His mediation between God and us was given to Him. When Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he charged them that they should tell his father of all his glory in Egypt. He did not do this to boast of his own glory, but because he knew how happy and satisfied his father would be when he saw, when he knew in what a glorious position his son was. Similarly, the Lord Christ desired that his disciples should see his glory in order that they might be filled with joy and happiness forevermore. Only a sight of His glory and nothing else will truly satisfy God's people. The hearts of believers are like a magnetized needle which cannot rest until it is pointing north. Also, a believer magnetized by the love of Christ will always be restless until he or she comes to Christ and beholds His glory. 
the soul which can be satisfied without beholding the glory of Christ, that cannot be eternally satisfied with beholding the glory of Christ, is not a soul for whom Christ prayed in John 17. How important it is for us as believers to behold the glory of Christ. Nothing else will satisfy. If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 14. And this is God's Word. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to have a greater city and a Jesus that is outside the gate to whom to go. We thank you for what he did outside the gate and for pointing us to him continuously through the book of Hebrews. Lord, this day, help us to see the glory of our Savior and to begin, if we have not already, to have a satisfaction in seeing his glory, be encouraged by it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I just want to say, in leading off this morning, uh, that before we turn our attention to the text, I want to note uh, that you probably saw on the, the, the slide with the title of the sermon that uh, the subtitle was Altar. Last week it was Jesus as Alpha and Omega. Now it's Jesus as Altar. And I want to note that this description of Jesus might be a little out of place in the New Testament unless we understand our Bible a little bit better. You see, Jesus Christ is the central figure of all the Bible. But we don't actually meet Him on the pages of Scripture as the incarnate Son of God until the New Testament. However, the Old Testament is full of shadows of Jesus that point to the reality that we see in the New Testament. Now, for instance, there is a shadow in here in the text. Um, It talks about an altar and a tent, holy places... Those all refer to either the tabernacle or temple. Okay? The tabernacle is, is referred to directly in the tent. You probably saw that uh, in your Bible it may have actually been called tabernacle. But the temple in Jerusalem that's alluded to in verse 10 is the footstool of God. It's where God dwelled with His people and it was the center of um, Israelite religious life. That's, that's where they did their sacrifices and that's where the Day of Atonement took place. Okay, but notice, verse 12, Jesus suffered, also suffered outside the gate. Now, I want you to listen to this. This poses a problem, and here's why. Jesus was sacrificed outside the gate. He was sacrificed outside the temple. He was sacrificed outside the gate where the unclean were sent and criminals were executed. He wasn't sacrificed in the temple. So... What does that mean? Any sacrifice outside the gate would be unclean, unholy, and pointless. Therefore, Jesus' sacrifice would make our salvation a worthless fiction unless. John chapter 2, verse 19 through 21, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about his body. You see, Jesus is the true temple where God dwells with his people. John 1.14 says this, The word became flesh and dwelt, and actually there in the Greek it means tabernacled among us, tented among us. So the temple in Jerusalem is the shadow that pointed to the reality of Christ Jesus as our true temple. So the temple and its furnishings point to Jesus. The sacrificial system and the priesthood point to Jesus. As the true temple, Jesus' sacrifice is the true sacrifice. And so when the reality comes, we no no longer need Jesus and no longer need the shadow. Now, my mother-in-law is sitting here, and she used to be an ultrasound tech. 
And so when the kids were still inside uh, my wife, we would go and, and we would get a little look-see at the kids, right? And so we could look at the shadow of what our kids look like. Now, when, when the reality arrived, do you think we kept looking at that printed-out um, ultrasound? Well, maybe with Joey, we're like, what, what happened? Between here and here, what, what? Uh, I'm just joking. Here's the thing. If you take an old sound, an ultrasound of the Old Testament, all different places throughout it, you know what you'll see? Jesus. Why would we want the shadows when Jesus is the reality? And that's why, friends, there's no longer need for a temple, a priesthood, or the sacrificial system in any way, shape, or form. Jesus is our true altar. In fact, we go to Him for atonement and pardon. Now, we haven't really talked about what an altar is. I think most of us probably know, but an altar is a place that is where sacrifice takes place. It's where an animal is killed, where blood is spilt. And when that blood is spilt, it atones for sin, and it removes guilt and wrath, and it brings forgiveness. But the shadow of the Old Testament altar is gone. You see, we no longer need it. We have the reality in Jesus. Going to an Old Testament altar today for atonement and pardon would do a person no good at all. Atonement and pardon is only found in Christ. But not only do we go to Him for atonement and pardon, we go to Him for fellowship with God. I don't know if you recall, maybe you would do so and think, oh man, I'm glad that's over. Our time in Leviticus, we actually had a sermon series here through the book of Leviticus. And we learned in one of the offerings was a fellowship offering. And there were times when the priest and the worshipers ate. And when the sacrifice was made to God, it was as if that was his portion of the meal. So there was fellowship there together. Jesus is where, I'm sorry, an altar is a place where fellowship is restored and enjoyed. Going to an altar today for fellowship with God would be pointless because it's not found there. It's only found in Jesus Christ. So when we think about Jesus as our altar, I want you to think about this way. I've kind of talked about this in general, but I want to move in and and, and look at some, some more things a little bit closer. Jesus is the place where we find salvation. Nowhere else. Old Testament offerings and sacrifices were presented at the altar. And I want you to look at verse 11, um, verses 10 and 11 actually. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. There was an altar in the tabernacle, also in the temple. But verse 11 says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now, listen here. Here's what the, the... the author of Hebrews is kind of summing up a lot of things. So when a sacrifice for sin took place, um, the blood the, the, the person would bring the offering, lay their hand upon the offering, confess their sins, kill the offering, and then the priest would take the blood and do with it what was prescribed uh, according to him. And that's how a person would receive atonement and pardon. And on the greater day, the Day of Atonement, then there was a whole lot more that went into um, making sure that everything was sanctified and cleaned. And then the animal was, there was an animal that was head, uh, the high priest laid his hand on the head of that animal, confessed its sin. That animal was sent away. Then the other animal was slaughtered, and its blood was taken into the most holy place. So when you read here, holy places... I want you to think of that, about Old Testament offerings and sacrifices being presented at an altar. But notice this, Hebrews 10.4 says this, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So I just went through all of this to, to describe why it was so important that these sacrifices were followed in the ways that they were followed. And then it says in Hebrews, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What gives? Maybe this will help you keep this straight. An atoning sacrifice is like writing a check to cover the sin. The Lord accepted the check, forgave the sin, and declared the debt paid, but He didn't cash the check. Why didn't He cash the check? Because the blood of bulls and goats wasn't enough to pay the debt. There would have been no money in the account to cover the check. But Christ would come one day and shed His blood 
And what he did on the cross would prove more than enough to pay the debt. You see, Jesus, and I'm taking these, some of these turns from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. Jesus, in thinking about the Old Testament sacrifices, he entered the greater and more perfect tent. Not the one that was on earth. And he did it once for all. Not like a sin offering had to be made every day in the nation of Israel. And he secured salvation for all people. Every person had to bring their own offering in the Old Testament. And he also secured an eternal redemption for all people. There was no need to go back and repeat things. And he did all this so we might serve the living God. I want to remind you, in the Old Testament, the worshiper brought the sacrifice and killed the animal in fulfillment of the law. Then the priest took the blood and applied the blood in accordance with the law, ensuring that the worshiper would receive the benefit of the sacrifice that the law promised. But in Christ, God brought the lamb. God sacrificed the lamb to fulfill his own righteous requirement. And in his function as high priest, Jesus ensured that his righteous death, his spilt blood, was applied according to God's righteous law so that all who come to the Lamb might have salvation full and free. The only way a person can have salvation is to go to Jesus. There is no other way. Jesus is the place where we find salvation. And he's also the place where we find life. Look at verse 10 again with me. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now I mentioned um, eating just a minute ago that some of the Old Testament offerings were for God alone. Some were for God and the worshiper because the worshiper ate. God had a part. The worshiper had a part. And then some offerings, the priest and the worshiper and God all got a part. But I hope you understand that eating is a figurative expression for participating in the sacrifice. See, it wasn't the worshiper that was sacrificed. Worshiper brought the the lamb or, or whatever was required, but the worshiper wasn't the sacrifice. So how did they participate? Well, they brought the lamb and they they killed the lamb, they did all those things, and then as they were allowed, they they ate, they partake. They partook of it. I should choose a better word when I don't know the difference between the tenses. But here's what I want you to understand. The priests in the Old Testament, they had a right to eat at the altar because they had no allotment. Remember when the the, the nation of Israel, the land was divided up? You remember? Guess who didn't get land? Guess who didn't receive a portion? The priests. Why? Because the Lord was their inheritance. And how was God going to provide for them through the sacrificial system? So how is God going to sustain people when we come to Him in Christ? We find that when we go to Christ, just like the worshiper and the priest found life-giving sustenance at the altar, that's, that's what happens with us. See, those who serve the tent, they have no right to eat at our altar. Why is that? Why do the Old Testament priests, why can they not eat at the altar that is ours to eat as Christians? Here's why. They serve within the old system of shadows. As long as they stay in that old system of shadows, they have no right to partake of the reality. But if they come out of it, they can partake. But the reality is, they don't serve at this altar. In fact, Old Testament law would have prevented them from eating anything of this sacrifice, any of this sacrifice, because it was... It would have been burned outside the camp to keep them from eating it. Their right to eat was tied up in the old system of shadows. But it's inferred in the text. Again, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. That must mean that we have a right to eat. So why can we as Christians eat there? Here's why. Because Jesus is the true altar. Jesus is the true sacrifice. He's the true high priest. He's the true temple. And we can eat there because he calls us and invites us to eat there. He says we can. That's why we may. And not only can we eat there, we must eat there. Remember in the Old Testament, the worshiper brought the sacrifice. In the New Testament, God supplied 
the sacrifice. I told you that in order for the sacrifice to bring benefit to the worshiper, they had to participate in the way that God had allotted to them. So in order to receive the benefit promised through the sacrifice, we must be obedient to the stipulations of the sacrifice. Listen to what Jesus said. Now this is from John chapter 6. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now Jesus, of course, is not talking literally about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. It is a euphemism. It is a way to communicate a truth in a tangible, concrete way. Jesus is saying, unless you believe in me, and appropriate for yourself all that I have done and can do in your life. You have no life with me. Now we understand that when you take in something to eat, um, you're actually making use of it. And Jesus is saying, you've got to take me in. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and you have to make use of all that I've done for you. Now in, in John, when he says... Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, those are in the Greek. Um, they are set up. There, uh, the verb is uh, a verb that, that communicates that it, it's done one time in the past. But then we know that it's just not one time believing in Christ or eating, partaking of His flesh and blood. Because as you continue to read in John, these verbs change tense. They go from something that happened in the past once to something that goes on continually. And it teaches us that we as Christians must partake of Christ continually for there's nothing else. There's no wiggle room there. Nothing else that can sustain us spiritually in our service to Him. Listen to what Jesus says continuing in John 6 verses 53 to 58. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is where we find salvation and life. And finally, He's where we find hope. Look again at verse 13. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Notice again, there's two important, uh, some important phrases here. Let us go to Him. In verse 14, we have no lasting city here. Okay, so in verse 14, when he says, For here we have no lasting city, the question that is worth pursuing, how do we answer this question? What, what does the writer of Hebrews mean by here? For here we have no lasting city. Is he talking about Jerusalem? Is he talking about maybe the Old Testament system of shadows, the Old Testament sacrificial Levitical system? Is he talking about the world? We've got to leave behind um, the, what's here for us today. You know, when you think about who this was written to, it would have been pretty easy to think maybe talking about uh, Jerusalem because these were persecuted Jews that were being written to. I don't think that the author of Hebrews is saying you need to come out of Jerusalem. I think what he's saying to them is you need to come out of that old system of shadows because here's what was happening to them. They were being persecuted and it was easier for them to think, I'll just go back to where the persecution is less because Judaism was accepted in the Roman Empire. I think that's what the author of Hebrews intends for his audience. But I think for us, an application would be that we need, we need to remember that here in this life, we have no lasting city. Whatever it is in this life that you anchor to when you need hope, that is your ultimate hope. And so often... We anchor to something else. And here's why it's a problem for us to anchor to Christ sometimes because one of the ironies of shadows in reality is that the shadows could be seen, but the reality could not. 
See, the audience of this letter could see with their own eyes the city of Jerusalem, the temple, the altar, the sacrifices, but they couldn't see Jesus in the same way, though all of it pointed to to Him. So when persecution came, the members of this church considered avoiding persecution by leaving the reality and going back to the shadows because it was safer. Except for this. You can't pin all your hopes on the shadows because there is no lasting city there. The only lasting city is mentioned in verse 14, the city that is to come. And that makes us think of Revelation 21 where the, the new heavens and the, the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem comes down from out of heaven. That's the ultimate source of our hope. Jesus wants us to see him through eyes of faith. And to go to him outside the camp and to bear the reproach he endured. Now reproach means this, that you're repudiated, that you experience disgrace, dishonor, and shame. And I want you to understand this. Apart from the reproach that Christ bore on our behalf, there would be no salvation, no life, no hope for us. If there was no reproach, then there would be no blessing for us. Now, I think we understand that we go to Christ in His reproach for salvation, but I fear that the the way that we live our Christian lives betrays a belief that the reproach Christ bore is all the reproach that's necessary. He did it all. But the writer of Hebrews corrects us, saying, Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. That means when he says bear the reproach he endured, that we identify ourselves fully and publicly with Christ, knowing that we will be slandered and maligned. That's a challenge to us, and it's the same challenge that the readers of this letter were charged to accept. How could we apply outside the camp? Let us go to him outside the camp. Now I'm talking about us. Apply this to us personally. Well, I think, one, it's becoming more and more obvious to us, and I know you know this, that before long we'll be standing kind of outside the camp of what's accepted. You know, Judaism was accepted in the Roman Empire. That's kind of why these persecuted uh, former Jews who are now Christians wanted to go back. You know the water's heating up. It is. And before long, we're going to be folks that everybody else is going to consider worthy of disgrace, dishonor, and we'll be put outside the camp. And how will we handle that? I know how we'll handle this. We'll stand for truth in this world. We'll stand for Christ in this world. And we will bear the reproach He bore, knowing that He will lift us up underneath it. Sometimes I think standing for Christ means, or outside the camp means that we need to stand for Christ and His truth in the church. You know, I hear of churches all the time who are allowing ungodly doctrinal influences into their church, cultural forces to come into their church and change how their church believes. Sometimes you have to be willing to go outside the camp and bear the reproach of Christ, even in your own church, when things are being done incorrectly, wrongly, ungodly, in a way that brings ill repute to the Lord. Now, why do I say these two areas? Really because the church ought to be going outside the camp and bearing the reproach of Christ and working to purify ourselves in the midst of a watching world. But it's so hard, isn't it? Let's go outside the camp and meet Jesus there and bear His reproach when here pulls so strongly at us. So much easier just be here and not go out there to bear the reproach of Christ. What could cause us to not care one whit about bearing the reproach of Christ? Looking at His glory. Making the decision in our own minds, not is He worthy? of this reproach, but saying with strong, deep conviction and personal experience, yes, He's worthy. Isn't He so worthy? I'm willing to bear whatever reproach comes my way because I I love my Lord. 
Friends, I just want to leave you with this. Can we really expect the blessing if we're unwilling to bear the reproach he endured? You know, God has so many blessings for his people. And I believe that some of the blessing that is going to fall to us can only be received through the reproach. And when we understand that's how God tends to work and how he has given us his son, that we might look at his glory and be drawn into this reproach and to bear up under this reproach and and to maintain our joy and our happiness, God's pleased in that. Father, we are grateful that we have an altar in our Savior Jesus Christ. We can go to Him for salvation and for life and for hope. He's the only place we must go. Father, sometimes I think, and I know this is true in my life, it's easier to kind of stay in the the easy stuff, the stuff that doesn't challenge so much, the stuff that's safer, as opposed to going out and bearing the reproach of Christ. I suspect I'm not alone on that. Lord, where there's conviction, give us hope that should we bear the reproach of Christ, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. You will always be there with us. And you will use that for our good and for your glory. So, Father, make us steadfast in our hope, in our Savior. And train us in right living. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing the song Sanctuary. So if you would, please stand. moments want to go um, just update some prayer requests. Barbara, yay, we're so glad you're back. We have missed you. Um, Yes, Barbara says thank you for the prayers. Um, Continue to pray for Becky and Dennis Fabry. Um, That is Nell Hedrick's um, daughter and son-in-law. They're trying to get Dennis who is, um, I think has been fighting COVID, but then he also, he's He's um, not able to move, and they're trying to get him into a, uh, a facility that can care for him better. So your mom is starting chemo this week, or she started last week? Okay. Is it? Went well. Okay. Very good. Um, pray for Doris uh, LaFond. She has, um, for the past few days, uh, been dealing with some things, um, some sickness had to go to the to the doctor and uh, get taken care of. So pray for her. Pray for Eddie May. Um, Eddie is dealing, with, I think, with some back pain, and he's supposed to come back on January twentieth. Um, and so he, um, Mary Catherine's going to stay longer, but Eddie feels like he he needs to get on home. Um, pray for Ernestine Crane. That is um, Nell Hedrick's um, sister-in-law. Sorry, you come out of the pulpit, your brain's just mush. Um, she's trying to get into a nursing home in San Saba. Um, thanks for praying for Gail. Things are going really, really well with Gail. She had a scan here recently, and the scan was good. Um, she appreciates the prayers and all of the uh, all you asking about her. She appreciates it very much. Uh, pray for Gerald McKee. Things just appear to be getting worse uh, for him. Um, obviously, pray for Mary Catherine. 
trip's going to take a little bit longer. Um, I will have some things to share tonight at the business meeting from her, so I hope you'll be able to attend. Um, Thomas Casera, that was Mindy's dad's uncle, and what's the issue with him? Heart issue. I'm sorry? Okay. All right. So this is just a number of updates. Um, any, anyone else have an update or, or personal prayer request you want to share? That, that's what this time is for. We do want to make you aware of things um, about which to pray, but then also if you need prayer about something, we certainly want to join in prayer with you. And I hope that, that there's enough of a fellowship here, and I believe there is, that if you said, man, I need prayer about this, we'd love to join with you and pray. Anyone? All right, well, let's stand. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed with a great commission. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you are the great physician, that you are always present, that you walk with the suffering and the hurting. And I pray, God, for those that we have mentioned here this morning. We pray that you would continue to bless them with your presence, that they would know that you're near. Lord, if there are any that have been mentioned today or any that are on this list that have... They don't know you as Savior and Lord. I pray that, um, Lord, that you would bring to them someone who could share the gospel with them. And, uh, that, Lord, that you would work in their heart so that they might be saved. Uh, we thank you again for this morning and for this time of worship together. And we pray, Lord, that you were blessed and honored. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hope to see you.